Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hi, if we haven't met yet, my name is Matt Van Cleve. I'm one of the pastors at Blue Oaks. I want to start today with a very important question. Whose job is spiritual growth? Uh, Psychologists say one of the primary causes of conflict in households involves arguments over what's generally called division of labor. Uh, which task belongs to which person. Uh, If the bed goes unmade, if the dishes go unwashed, if the diaper goes unchanged, who's responsible? Who owns getting the job done? Now, it's amazing how many relationships never achieve clarity around something as simple as division of labor issues. Uh, Many families have never had calm, rational conversation around who is best equipped according to their giftedness and interest and passion and so on, to take out the garbage and iron the clothes and so on. So the result of this is lots of things don't get done because each person in the relationship thinks the other person is responsible. And here's why I mention this. We're starting a nine-week series on spiritual growth. And for many people, there's confusion about the division of labor issue on spiritual growth. Uh, There's a fundamental belief in the Christian faith called the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, The doctrine of sanctification has to do with spiritual growth. Uh, The word in Greek, which gets translated sanctification, is related to the word holy. Uh, And the gospel, of course, is not just that we'll go to heaven when we die, Uh, The gospel is the offer of life in God's kingdom uh, right here and right now, as well as after we die. God's plan is that his image in us, which is marred by the fall, should be uh, restored in all its beauty and glory, that human life should and will be as God intended it to be. Sanctification will take place for us. But for many of us, there's confusion about the division of labor issue as it relates to sanctification. Uh, Is it God's job or is it mine? Uh, Some people have taken the position that sanctification is solely the job of God. Uh, They say, if I do anything at all, if I make any effort to be holy, uh, it's works righteousness, Uh, it's legalism. Uh, I'm living in the flesh. Uh, I can't do anything at all. And that's what people who hold this position say. And sometimes they uh, cite certain verses to show that sanctification is solely God's job. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 is one of them. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Or they may cite Romans 7.18, where Paul says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
they'll cite a verse like that and say, human actions are futile. Uh, it's doomed from the start. So there are some people who object to any call for uh, strenuous effort or costly following by saying that human efforts are opposed to grace. A uh, pastor of another church uh, told me anytime he talks about costly discipleship or, or sacrifice or obedience at his church, a large number of people respond, we're into grace. You know, that, that costly stuff is legalism. Uh, I asked a group of people one time, uh, how do people grow in the fruit of the Spirit? You know, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do people grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Woman, one woman who had been a Christian for a long time said, I just claim the fruit of the Spirit. I just wake up in the morning and I just claim it. I just claim joy and so on. I said, well, does it work? I mean, is, is it that simple with no effort or discipline? She said, it doesn't take effort or discipline. I just claim joy. That's all I have to do. I'm a joyful person when I claim joy. You can see that, can't you? <laughs> uh, now you know why. I just claim it. That's what you ought to do too. Uh, now, if it's just God's job, if any human effort is opposed to grace, then you better not do anything. I mean, just wait around until you get zapped. Now, on the other hand, there are some Christians who take kind of a marine approach to spiritual life, as if spiritual growth is surely a product of my commitment level. Uh, it's just kind of a, a mechanical deal. And they may cite verses like Leviticus 11.44. Uh, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. God's job is to make sure he is holy. My job is to make sure I am holy. And then the church becomes a contest to see who's the most holy, uh, who can memorize the most Bible verses, uh, who's in the most classes and groups, uh, who's serving the most, who's invited the most people, who reads the Bible the most, who prays the most. Uh, people get this kind of checklist mentality and as long as I'm doing this and this and this, then I must be growing spiritually, uh, quite apart from any sense of whether love or joy or any of the fruit of the Spirit are actually being produced in my life. If it's all my job, if it's up to me, uh, I better never relax. I've got to try harder. I've got to run faster. I've got to pray harder. I've got to serve more intensely. I better be doing something spiritual all the time. So whose job is sanctification? Whose job is spiritual growth? Paul has some very important things to say in his letter to the church at Philippi about spiritual growth. And there's a real striking statement he makes. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So first of all, Paul says, work out your salvation. Uh, in other words, your role is very important. Spiritual growth will not just get zapped into you. But then he goes on to say, for it is God who works in you. Uh, you're not doing this project on your own. Spiritual growth is empowered by God. 
Uh, it's impossible without him. It's a both and deal. In fact, a key phrase that he uses at the end of verse 12 is when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, now that was actually a stock expression in Paul's day. He doesn't mean work out your own salvation with a sense of nervous anxiety, like not knowing whether or not uh, you're gonna be good enough for God. It's a phrase that could mean uh, a humble attitude of dependence. And I would say that's what he's talking about here. There's a role I've got to play in this, but I don't control it. See, if you think about things in life, there are some things I can control. I mean, that's a, that's a category. I can make a phone call. I can drive a car. I can watch television. I can control that stuff. And then there are some things I do not have any control over. That's another category. Uh, I can't control the weather. Uh, I can't change it. Only God can change the weather. I can't control the Chicago Cubs. Uh, I can't do anything about the Cubs. Only God can help the Cubs. Uh, but then there's a third category if you think about it. Uh, things like going to sleep. I talked about this recently. Uh, think about going to sleep for a minute. If you've ever had uh, kids or been around kids, you know that when they reach a certain age, there's often a struggle. Uh, parents will say to kids, go to sleep. Uh, what does the child respond with? I can't go to sleep. And of course, you can't make yourself go to sleep the way you can make yourself make a phone call or something like that. But parents will assure their kids that you can do certain things to open yourself up to sleep if you really want it. You can get in a dark room, you can lay down on a soft mattress, you can turn out the lights, you can close your eyes, and sleep will come. It will come. You can't control it, but you're not helpless. You can open yourself up to it, and then it will come. It's kind of a gift. Another analogy is a sailboat. Uh, think for a minute about the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. Uh, in a motorboat, I'm in control. I start the engine, I control the speed, I go wherever I want to go. I'm in control with a motorboat. Sailing is a different story. When I'm sailing, I'm not passive. Uh, I have a definite role to play. I hoist the sails, I steer the rudder and so on, but I'm utterly dependent on the wind. So there's no room for pride on a sailboat or the false idea that I'm in control because if the wind doesn't blow, I'm dead in the water. I'm not going anywhere. When the wind blows, on the other hand, amazing things can happen. Now the wind does amazing things. Uh, there's something amazing and mysterious about it. Uh, this is what Jesus says in John 3 when he's talking about spiritual life one time. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In scripture, both in Hebrew and in Greek, the word for wind is the word for spirit. It's the same word. Jesus says, the pneuma, uh, the word for wind, blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Uh, it's free and powerful and way beyond your control. 
So it is with everyone who is born of the pneuma, of the spirit, through whose life the winds of God are blowing. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is powerful and mysterious and awesome, and I can't control it. I can't manufacture it. It's not about coming up with a little program that's got uh, predictable results and I'm in control of it. But on the other hand, I'm not passive. It's worth my greatest effort to catch the wind of the Spirit to be sanctified by God. My job is to discern where the wind of the Spirit is blowing and how do I catch it? This is what the Apostle Paul does. And we'll look at four truths about this in the time that we have left today. Spiritual growth is empowered by the Holy Spirit working in us as we engage in the process with intention and action. There are two opportunities available for you that demonstrate that. First, I encourage you to take the spiritual growth assessment, which will give you a snapshot of where you are with these eight core beliefs, which we'll be talking about over the next nine weeks. You simply select your level of agreement with a series of statements related to each and you will receive an email with your results. For some, this will be your starting point, maybe the first time you have actively engaged in your spiritual growth. For others, it is a continuation of your leaning into Christ-centered living. The assessment is anonymous unless you choose to share the results with someone else or those in your grow group. And that's the second opportunity. We are launching Grow Groups, a nine-week small group experience this week. Groups will follow along with a weekend message and take a deeper dive into each belief through guided conversation, spiritual practices, and additional resources. They are an opportunity to ask the questions you have in a safe environment where everyone is on a similar journey of growth. If you've been hesitant, holding off, or you've never participated in a small group, now is the time. Spiritual growth happens best in community with others. Groups will be meeting online until we are able to gather in person safely. To take the assessment and register for a grow group, go to blueoakschurch.org and click the latest news. Let's rejoin Pastor Matt as we continue our look at how we can grow spiritually. All right, now we're going to look at four truths that the writers of Scripture teach about sanctification, about spiritual growth. And the first one is this. You are being formed spiritually, whether you know it or not. Uh, people in our day are tempted to think of spiritual growth as kind of an optional part of Christianity, take it or leave it. But the truth is you are being formed spiritually. Everyone is. In Romans 12, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says, if you're not being uh, transformed by the renewing power of God, then you are being conformed, uh, shaped or molded by the forces opposed to God that are at work in this world. And so the question is not if you're being formed spiritually. The question is, who is forming you? And if it's not God, then you have an enemy, a spiritual adversary, the evil one, who would be perfectly happy to do the task. You know, we live in a world that deforms people spiritually. And sanctification is so important 
that it's the single word that sums up God's will for human life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holy could be translated sanctification. It's the same word. And by the way, this is why we've asked you to take the spiritual growth assessment. Uh, if you haven't taken it yet, I wanna encourage you to take it today. It's important that you know uh, where you are at currently uh, in your spiritual formation. Uh, you know what's amazing to me on this? I know people who abdicate on the one process they know is God's will for their life. Uh, people will pursue all kinds of other things with passion and devotion, but when it comes to spiritual growth, they'll abdicate responsibility. And they'll give all kinds of excuses for not pursuing spiritual growth. You know, my, my group, group leader is not, the, uh, not a good group leader. I mean, I could grow a lot spiritually, but, you know, he just doesn't have his act together. Uh, my schedule is just too busy. You know, when things settle down, then I'll kind of uh, start pursuing spiritual growth. My church doesn't have adequate programs for spiritual growth. You know, if I could just find the right church, then I would grow spiritually. Uh, my husband doesn't give me the kind of spiritual leadership that I need to grow spiritually. Uh, I've told him over and over, start leading me, uh, but he doesn't lead the way that I tell him to lead. If I had a more spiritually mature spouse, then I'd grow spiritually. Listen, the offer of the gospel is the offer of the possibility of being sanctified. The gospel that Jesus came to preach, I mean, go back to the beginning of Mark or the beginning of Matthew. The writers say Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, you can live in it. It is possible to live in the presence and under the power of God right now. And if you do that, of course, that's a choice to live God's kind of life. Sanctification or spiritual growth is simply another way uh, to talk about the kind of life that um, God wants you to live. A life of truth, of love, of joy and humility and community and servanthood and a passion to see others experience that same kind of life. And if you don't wanna live that kind of life now, what in the world makes you think that you're gonna wanna live that kind of life in eternity, for eternity? after you die. It's God's will for your life that you be sanctified. All right, so the first point about spiritual growth is you are being formed spiritually, whether you know it or not, which leads us to the second truth in scripture regarding spiritual growth. Failure is a part of spiritual growth. Look what Paul says in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And that's pretty remarkable for the Apostle Paul. He says, I haven't arrived yet. Uh, I've been after it for many years now. I haven't arrived yet. You know, little kids will get into a car uh, to take a long vacation. What's the very first question they ask? Are we there yet? I mean, we're such an instant gratification society. Well, spiritual growth doesn't happen that way. 
Paul says, I'm not there yet. Not, not even close, not today, not tomorrow, but this one thing I do, I just don't give up. I just keep after it. Now here's the thing, in the pursuit of spiritual growth, you will fail. I'll just guarantee you that. It's consistent with scripture and it's certainly consistent with my own experience. What do you do if you're real serious about pursuing spiritual growth and you fail? Well, Paul has a strategy for dealing with failure and it's found in the passage we just read. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. One word summarizes Paul's strategy for dealing with failure. Forget. Forget it. Forgetting what is behind, he says. Now, this is kind of odd. We tend to think of forgetting as a bad thing, you know, something that we shouldn't do. This is kind of a silly story about an elderly man and woman. The man says, I'm going to go get some ice cream. Do you want anything? And she says, yes, I'd like a sundae. I want strawberry ice cream, hot fudge topping, whipped cream, nuts, uh, no cherries. You better write it down. He says, I don't need to write it down. I got it all up here. She says, you better write it down. I know what your memory is like. Don't worry about me. I've got it all right here. So he comes back an hour later, hands his wife a brown paper bag. Uh, she opens it up and inside is a ham sandwich. She says to her husband, you forgot the mustard. <laughs> kind of a silly story, I know. Uh, we think of forgetting as something that gets us into trouble or something that we shouldn't do. But here's the truth. Forgetting is indispensable to spiritual growth. Forgetting is a key practice in spiritual life. You need to develop the discipline of forgetting. You need to ask the greatest counselor in the world, the Holy Spirit, will you help me, Holy Spirit, to overcome my mistakes and my sin and my guilt and my inadequacy and my disappointment? I mean, I need to confess I need to set things right wherever I can set things right. I need to learn whatever it is that I need to learn, but then I've got to move on. I can't be trapped or imprisoned to failure because spiritual growth is a process and I need to keep moving. And therefore, Paul says, I forget what is behind. And you don't compare yourself. You don't compare how you're doing with how someone else is doing because you're on your journey, not theirs. And be patient because the danger is not that you'll slip, uh, that's guaranteed. The danger is that when you slip, you'll get discouraged or impatient and you'll give up. You know, people tell me sometimes, I get so discouraged, you know, I've been, I've been wrestling with the same sin for weeks or months or years in some cases. So what? Keep going. Keep learning, keep connecting, keep serving, keep growing. Paul says he forgets what is behind. He's ruthless about forgetting. He will not allow his failures to keep him trapped in the past. Spiritual growth is kind of like two steps forward and one step back because failure is part of spiritual growth. So don't give up. All right, the third truth is this. Spiritual growth is empowered by God. And I want to come back to the sailboat. Uh, God is the one who supplies the wind. Uh, the Apostle Paul has a strong tendency when he's talking about uh, transformation to use a kind of grammatical form that's rather unusual. 
this is a combination of two things. One is the imperative. An imperative was when, when you give someone a command. Uh, stop it. Uh, listen to me. You know, do what I'm telling you, something like that. And then there's another form, which is called the passive voice. That is when something happens to you. Uh, you get hit by a truck. Uh, you get struck by an illness. Uh, that's a passive. And Paul, when he's talking about transformation, he often uses the passive imperative. And he does this in Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's an imperative. He's commanding it. He says, do this. But it doesn't say, transform yourself. He says, be transformed. That is, actively pursue the transforming power of God. And this is very common with Paul. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He doesn't say which comes from you. Paul doesn't say transform yourself, but he also doesn't say just hang around and do nothing and it will just happen to you. You know, a good sailor, I'm told, can look out on the water and discern from the pattern of the waves where the wind is especially strong. That's part of a sailor's job, to find the wind and ride it as long as he can. And the question I have for you under this part of spiritual growth is, where are the winds of the Spirit blowing in your life? Where and how is God at work in you? What sin is he seeking to free you from? How is he causing growth in your life? Because spiritual growth is empowered by God. All right, you are being formed spiritually, whether you know it or not. Failure is a part of spiritual growth. Uh, spiritual growth is empowered by God. And then the fourth truth, spiritual growth happens best in community. Now, this is real important because there's a kind of danger in pursuing spiritual growth. And that is, if it gets off track, it can get real individualistic and self-preoccupied and even narcissistic. We see this with the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day. Uh, they thought of themselves as very holy, very uh, sanctified, but they couldn't even love anyone. Uh, they were absorbed with themselves. They were preoccupied with themselves. The New Testament writers never define spiritual growth in solely individualistic terms. They define it in terms of community. In Philippians 2, Paul has been talking about how sanctification is happening. Uh, you're to work it out. God is at work within you. And then he talks about what it looks like. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. In other words, as the community matures, this is what you'll find. No grumbling, grateful hearts, and no arguing. Bitterness and resentment will be replaced by a community of servanthood. Let me ask you a question, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. 
Have you ever known someone who has been around the church for a long time that grumbles or argues and is yet thought of as a spiritually mature person? I've known churches where people are growing more and more argumentative and bitter, and yet they're thought of as sanctified, holy people. Paul defines spiritual growth within the context of community. And it's very important that we understand this because if we don't, the pursuit of spiritual growth can get distorted in a way that it makes it all about me. I can get so preoccupied with how I'm performing spiritually, what my spiritual temperature is, how spiritually fulfilled I feel. Have I got an impressive roster of spiritual practices that I observe? Instead of being freed to live a life of servanthood and love, I get spiritually proud and narcissistic and self-absorbed. All right, now I wanna close with this. The goal of spiritual growth is really our mission as a church, Christ-centered living, that we would do and say the things that Jesus would do and say if he was in our place. The goal of the process of spiritual growth is becoming more like Jesus in everyday life situations. You see, God wants you to grow spiritually, and that's no small thing. This is not some uh, spiritual self-improvement project. This is God's destiny for you. And I'll tell you, if you miss out on this, you miss out on what you were made for. All right, let me pray for you. God, I just wanna pray for those who are listening right now that you would begin this work in them that, that you call sanctification. I know you've begun it already in a lot of us, but God, I pray that you would bring it to completion, that we would become more and more like you, that we would respond in everyday situations like Jesus would respond if he was in our place. God, help us to to learn in this series uh, some critical beliefs that will be catalytic for our own spiritual growth. I pray that you help us to commit to being here for this series so that we can learn, so that we could grow, so that we could uh, commit to this uh, process of growing spiritually. I know it's your will for us. So I pray that many would grow and take next steps in their journey throughout this series. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.